0: Tess Brunton's RNZ reporter based in Dunedin covering Otago and Southland. Tess, good morning. Kia ora. Uh, now, Lake Onslow, the, 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 the project that was a $4 billion idea and then became a $16 billion idea and now may be off being an idea at all. Before we talk about the change of government, where was La- the Labor government at in investigating its feasibility and also just remind people what it was intended to do, Tess?
1: So I guess I'll paint a bit of a picture first about where it is. So this is in Central Otago. So it's northeast of the Clutha River near Roxburgh. And the whole aim of it, it's an existing um, lake, but there would be uh, sort of it would be enlarged uh, and it would act as a storage battery. So the idea is is to. Um, Basically, draw out or smooth out the price volatility and sort of reduce power shortages when hydro lakes are low or in the dry years. So that's the idea of um, pumping water back up when the water is uh, sorry when the power is cheap, so it can generate electricity in drier times. The um, idea of it was to try and. The, sorry, the Labor government had sort of proposed about $16 billion is the current price tag that it was talking about, and it had gone through a lot of the process. There'd been about close to $5 million in environmental investigations and geotechnical work that's been undergone, and the Cabinet sort of proposed to advance it to the next stage, which was a detailed business case that was expected next year, along with um, some other ideas on how to sort of solve this problem. The former energy minister earlier this year said, at the moment we store about three terawatt hours of energy in the form of coal in New Zealand, and they need to find a way to replace that in a renewable form. Now, this one was meant to do um, more than, was to have about five terawatt hours of energy storage. So it gives you a bit of an idea that that would have covered the base.
0: Look, it's an interesting one. It's also interesting from an economic perspective because the power companies pretty much... Indicated that the spectre of this hydro scheme that would deal with um, uh, w- w- would deal with uh, dry years and, and it be a big player in the overall capacity for supply might in- might impact some of their investment decisions. You'd hear back from the government saying, "Well, why would that be the case?" Um, and there's also the question of its viability at a time when we seem to struggle to produce big engineering projects. I know there are proponents. Uh, I've heard from some of them who believe it was entirely possible and a solution. Bottom line is, what's the incoming government? What are the incoming government parties saying about it? Tess,
1: they've essentially said that they're going to scrap it. So they're going to stop working on the Lake Onslow project within its first 100 days in governments. And the reason is they're concerned about the cost and basically saying that the cost is going to fall back onto onto the public and saying it might stifle electrification. So instead, they've put through their own Electrify New Zealand proposal, which is saying that they're trying to cut red tape and uh, drive investment in renewable uh, generation that way so looking at sort of solar and wind and geothermal so it's making consenting and re-consenting easier and saying that's how they're going to achieve their climate goals there's some just
0: there's some elephants in the room what happens with Huntley currently coal burning uh, but currently, the backup in dry years—it's got maybe a decade left in it. And the problem with a lot of the new renewables, of course, is that they are potentially intermittent. Um, I do recall he's talking to a former uh, energy boss who said, "If you want us to carry excess supply, you have to pay us an insurance policy for it, because of course the dry year only comes once however many years." And what instinct, what what uh, incentive in a in a commercial um, setup do companies carry? have to carry excess supply. So uh, perhaps not as simple as some of the incumbent parties are portraying it. But anyway, it looks like a big moment for for Lake Onslow. Let's talk about another of the controversies, um, the student flat initiations, in inverted commas. Uh, Some of them pretty tasteless and tacky, to put it mildly, and actually have prompted investigations over, what, possible uh, illegality tests?
1: Yeah, illegality as well as mistreatment of animals. So there's been a number of different reports. This isn't new, but it's not been going on as long as some of the students believe it has. Some of the reports we've been hearing are women being forced to strip to their underwear and called piggies during initiation with markers used to circle um, their fat, and I have that in common marks. So some of it is, I guess, hearkening back to what you'd consider almost... Like a frat culture. There's also been um, reports of students mistreating a live eel, people having bottles and eggs thrown at them, drinking until they're forced to vomit, and then vomiting. Anywhere but the ground. So there's some pretty nasty things that are coming out. And um, essentially, the university has said there's a zero tolerance and that they're really concerned that someone could be killed or seriously hurt because a lot of these events are becoming associated with more absurd, dangerous and, I guess, depraved behavior, really. So...
0: It's had its issues at Target University campus. Even a few short years ago, we were reporting on issues of sexual harassment and sexual assault on or around campus and uh, a drinking culture that was out of control. And where have they got with that, that fine balance between these are young adults uh, with new freedom and decision-making and actually what is not OK for uh, an institution with whom they're aligned?
1: Yeah, and that's part of the problem. Um we know that there's been seven complaints that have been made and that there's, as I said, an investigation into the live eel. But part of the issue that the university has sort of said is how do we control something that's happening at flats? Like these are not these are not university these are in private properties. They're flats that are usually they're second years who are putting on initiations for the first years who are coming into the flats next year it's viewed as a group bonding uh, it can can get out of control there's also people that i've spoken to students who were planning to do the drinking which they were going to do anyway and also to eat sardines so that was their version of initiations and smaller games so it, it's It becomes really complicated because while there's education that can be done from the university, they can have campaigns to try and um, discourage this kind of behaviour, it's also happening behind closed doors. So there's only so much that's able to be done. And the university said, really, this needs to be student-led. This needs to be something that the students are taking responsibility for and uh, are trying to change their own behaviour, really.
0: Now what is the campaign to bring some international flights back to Dunedin Please? Just remind us, currently which ones do you have? None. Oh okay. None. When so, did that have? so <laughs> Queenstown might have pinched one or two, did they? So what, what's um what was or what is being sought back?
1: So before the pandemic Virgin Australia flew direct weekly flights between Brisbane and Dunedin both helps to get the Dunedinites particularly in winter to see a bit of sunshine and for those uh, in the Sunshine Coast being able from Queensland, being able to come and explore our beautiful city. Now, that service uh, was suspended at the start of the pandemic and has not been resumed since the border reopened. And there's this 13-year-old uh, Dunedin boy, so Benjamin Patterson, who started a campaign to try and get those trans-Tasman flights back, saying that you know he's already had thousands of people supporting him and a lot of really positive comments. But of course, it's, it takes a lot of work to try and get an airline or airline routes to be reestablished.
0: What is his argument?
1: He's essentially saying that it's it would save a lot of money and a lot of time for people because at the moment you know, we've got to either drive to Queenstown, which is a three and a half hour drive, or um, fly from Dunedin to Christchurch or to Auckland and use that as a, a base point to fly elsewhere. So he's essentially saying it will save time and money and uh, it will also help to encourage people to the city.
0: Very good. I don't know if he's going to run a tourism business in the, in the future or is already, but good on him. Uh, look, let's have a look at the uh, latest on the cryptosporidium outbreak in uh, Queenstown and maybe just remind us whether most people are off boiled water now, but then just the search to find out, the needle in the haystack, the search to find out uh, who or what might be responsible. First, just what is the status of everybody there with respect to boiled water notices? So at
1: the moment, there is... a. About 20, more than 20,000 people still are on boil water notice. And so those are the people that are served by the two mile plant, which includes the Queenstown CBD, Fern Hill, and Sunshine Bay. Those on the Kelvin Heights. Um, water treatment plant, they are no longer on boil water notice, haven't been for a couple of weeks. But we've got about 68 people who are confirmed cases of the cryptosporidium outbreak, and there's one that's under investigation, that's the latest from Tefata Ora. And we've got um, it- Still people, if you are in businesses, they've still got to make sure that they're boiling their water. This includes for brushing your teeth, um, for drinking, for food preparation, for making ice. So it is a really challenging for a lot of people. Um, and I know that there's certainly some that are having, I guess boil water notice fatigue. Uh, but the, the council's really keen for people to make sure that they're still boiling their water because it could still be an issue, and they can't lift the notice until they have the right barriers oh in place, and goodness. that's not for a while yet.
0: No, well, the barriers are the key issue, right? Um, but yes. back to try to find the source. We were warned that we might never know. Just how much of a needle in a haystack is it?
1: Well, we've, there's been an investigation from Te Fata Ora um which has found essentially that human faecal matter, so Human poo in the town's water supply, which comes from Lake Fokatipu, is the most likely source of the outbreak. And so that contamination could have come from swimmers, sewage from a boat, water wastewater overflows, or other faults in the system. But it's it is really challenging because the the ways of sort of monitoring what where this these issues are is complicated, and it can just because there was an issue at one point doesn't mean that they're going to be when they test that they'll be able to see that issue. So what, what I don't it understand is, is
0: how one swimmer or even one boat could cause so much contamination in an entire lake that you're still getting cases.
1: Well, they're saying that it's likely to have been when the where the water is um, taken up. So they're saying that's probably in that sort of that area. But, yeah, no, it is. it only takes a small amount of contamination that could have led
0: to... For a prolonged you know, outbreak.
1: Well, at the moment, we're still trying to find out. And the, the issue is that because they don't have this particular protozoa barrier in place, which is required under law, and they are working towards that uh, the council is working towards getting this barrier, they can't lift the boil water notice Understood. even if their testing results aren't showing any further any further yeah. issues. So that's part, and then thinking that that's probably still going to be aiming for the 8th of December. So that's going to allow them to get the equipment that they need to test it, to go through um, the sort of any of the other processes. And so that's the rough date for when yeah. they're hoping they might be able to end the boil water notice.
0: Look, the difficulty in locating a cause and the fact that the cause could be from a relatively confined um, source hmm. is all the more reason for for this and 21 other councils to get to get moving, right? Although we know their issues and their challenges with that. Tess, thank you for the outbra- uh, um, update. Thank you as always. Tess Brunton is RNZ reporter. She's based in Dunedin, covering a target on Southland.